breaking news. You ever seen that headline on your news feed in the morning, developing breaking news? It usually shows up on your feed in like yellow or red or it's flashing and so you click on it and you hear some big news, something big is happening, but the frustration, right, of clicking on that is that you don't know all the details yet. And so all morning, if you're honest, you keep clicking on this developing breaking news and you want more information. And maybe about midday, you find out from the reporter just a little bit more, an eyewitness account or more information about this breaking story. And Oftentimes, by the end of the first day or the end of the second day, you have a better picture of the whole story. Can I tell you this morning that the biblical account of the resurrection of Jesus is kind of like that? There's breaking news on the morning, the Sunday morning, when the ladies go to the tomb and they don't find Jesus there, that he is missing, but there's not a full account yet, and What we see happening after that is we begin to hear eyewitnesses see the living Jesus, that he shows up and he reveals himself to people through that day and the next, and by the end, we have a complete picture. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 24, and we'll be in verses 1 through 12 this morning. It's page 884 on a Bible close to you. If you don't have one, the words will be on the screen. You can look along in the Bible that you brought with you this morning. Luke 24, 1 through 12. This is the early morning scene at the tomb where the ladies come and they find some things missing. But I want to show you not only are the obvious thing of Easter morning missing, the body of Jesus, but there's some other things that are missing as well. Other things are missing in the hearts of the followers of Jesus that are unearthed and uncovered by the empty tomb. And maybe you're here this morning and perhaps Almost 2,000 Easter mornings later, maybe, just maybe, something is missing in your heart as well. Maybe you know this morning the claims of Christ. You've heard them before, but you've never really done anything with them. You've never put your faith and your trust in Christ to forgive you of your sins and to change your life through the resurrection, the death and resurrection. And maybe you're here this morning and you've heard the claims, but you're somewhat apathetic to them. And maybe you're here and you know the claims of Christ. You've trusted in the claims of Christ. You would call yourself a follower of Jesus, and yet it is difficult often to cling to what Jesus says and cling to what he's promised in a world that we live in today, in the circumstances and the perceptions that you have of life and life in this broken world. Luke 24, I wanna show you two things that are exposed and missing from the followers of Jesus when they come and discover that Jesus is not there, that he is risen. Let me read it for us. Would you stand Easter morning? Let's stand and read God's word. I'll read it. Watch and see the missing things in the heart of the followers of Jesus as I read. God's word says this. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. 
But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men, angels, stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? What a great question. He is not here, for he has risen. Literally, he has been raised. Remember how he told you while you were still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered Jesus' words. And they returned from the tomb, and they told all of these things to the eleven and all the rest Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things. These are the ladies who went to the tomb to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose, and he ran to the tomb. He stopped, and he looked in, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Would you please be seated? Perhaps you've heard this story before. On a Friday evening, they had taken Jesus' body off. In the afternoon, they took his body off a cross, and they put it in the rich man's tomb. A rich man's tomb, and they'd roll this over-a-ton disc-like rock in front of this stone tomb not to be moved, and they had guarded the tomb with soldiers. And the Passover happens on a Saturday, so there's nothing going on on Saturday, but early, early in the morning, remember the Jewish calendar every day starts at 6 a.m., and so these women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and it looks like two other ladies, five ladies come early, early in the morning before the sun comes up around 6 a.m., and they come with what? They come with spices. When someone dies in our day, what do we do? We embalm the body so the body doesn't decay and begin to smell, but in that day, they didn't have that. They just had effectively essential oils. And they brought those spices and oils in their sorrow and their sadness to to anoint Jesus' body. This is out of love and care for their rabbi, for their teacher, the one that they had followed. And these ladies come in sorrow and grief to care for the body, the dead body of Jesus, after he's buried so his body doesn't stink and decay in this tomb. But they get there, and there's something missing. The stone is rolled away. I don't know. It looks like that they had some faith, didn't they? That somehow they were going to get the guards to roll the stone away for this to happen. And so they're exhibiting faith in some way, and they come, and the stone is already rolled away. So I don't know if in that moment they thought, hey, this is going to be easy. The dead body of Jesus will be able to care for it. So his body doesn't decay and stink. But they walk in up to it and in it, and his body isn't there. In the other gospels, what we learn about this is that they didn't believe at that point, as a matter of fact, they just thought the body got moved, that somebody took the body and moved it. And then they see in this text two men, or angels, verse 23, tells us. And these two angels, like angels are, 
We're dazzling, had dazzling apparel. That's not why we dress up at Easter, I don't think. They're glowing. That's what angels do. And always the response to a heavenly messenger or the Lord is that they bowed and they were fearful. But the text says that because Jesus wasn't there, they were what? Perplexed. They didn't know what to make of the missing body of Jesus. They just thought that his body had been moved. But the angels come and they tell them, and I don't know if I can do my Texan version of this. And they say, why are y'all here? Jesus ain't here. Didn't you know? He's alive. You should know this. You should know this because he told you over and over and over again that he was going to be not only delivered up, not only delivered up, but he was going to be crucified. He told you over and over and over. And not only that, but he was going to rise on the third day. Can you count? Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Why are you here? So the angels give these ladies more information, don't they? But it's also, you can feel it in the text. You can feel the correction. You can feel the correction of these ladies who have come to care for the body, dead body of Jesus They've misinterpreted all these things because they failed to take Jesus at his word. I want to show you this because in this text, these angels get real specific, don't they? They get real specific about when they were in Galilee that Jesus told them what was going to happen. And so let me just show you to demonstrate to you that they knew, even though Jesus had veiled it from them. We'll get to that. Matthew 17, verse 22 and 23 says this. Here it is. The angel's testimony. And they were gathered in Galilee. Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, speaking of himself, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. See it? They had heard these words before. You also see it in Luke 9. I'm just going to give you a few because there's more than this. Luke chapter 9 verse 22 says it this way. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the th- and also on the third day be what? Raised. They've heard this before. They've heard this multiple times. And then Luke 18, last text I'll give you. Jesus says it this way. He says, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets, all the Old Testament, will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked, we see that at the cross, shamefully treated, spat upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him and on the third day, he will rise. They've heard this news before. See, their failure was not a failure to love Jesus. Their failure was not to care for Jesus, to honor Jesus. Their failure was to take Jesus at his word. And what we learn this morning in that for us, as followers of Jesus, as disciples and learners of Jesus who have called him Lord, the empty tomb reminds us to take Jesus at his word. To take Jesus at his word. Think about this, adults in the room for a minute. 
Remember when you were a kid and your parents over and over and over would remind you to do X, Y, or Z, and when you failed to remember, what would you say? I just, kids, right? I just forgot. I didn't remember. And you know what your parents did at that moment? They said something like this. No, you're just not listening. Or they said something like this. You hear what you want to hear. And I hated that as a kid. Did you? And yet I say it to my kids all the time. You hear what you want to hear. Selective listening. See, I think this was happening for the ladies as well. I think it was happening for the disciples. They had already heard and heard and heard, but they heard what they wanted to hear. So the question for you this morning, do you take Jesus at his word? When he's spoken in his word, do you take him at his word or you just hear what you want to hear from Jesus and you throw out all the rest? See, the challenge of this in our lives is this. We tend to misinterpret important things, breaking news in our lives, hard circumstances, good circumstances. Like these ladies, we tend to misinterpret events in our lives. They come in sackcloth and ashes. They are sorrowful. They're bringing spices to care for the dead body of Jesus. They misinterpret the whole thing. What ought they be doing? They ought to be going, I can't wait to have the party. I can't wait until he's not there. We're going to go to the tomb early to see that he's not there. They were forgetful hearers. And let me ask you something this morning. Do your circumstances dictate what you think about the words of Jesus, or do the words of Jesus dictate what you think about the circumstances that you face in your life? And this is not easy. Clearly, we look, at these, we look at these ladies and go, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. You think? Would you have rightly interpreted all of this yourself? I'm not sure I would have. Romans 10, 17 is a great text to remind us what we do with the words of Christ. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing through what? The words of Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never heard these words. You've never understood the good news of the gospel that Christ has died on a cross in your place. Why does that need to happen? Because the Bible says that there is none that has done good. No, not one. That we are sinners and that we are separated from a holy God. And God loved us enough to send his son. He spared not his son that we might have life through the son that Christ died to pay, take the payment of your sin on a cross. And he was raised to vindicate that, to demonstrate what he had done for us that we too one day might be raised. So the empty tomb reminds us to take Jesus as followers of his at his word. But notice something in about the end of verse 8. The ladies are supposed to take this message. These ladies who love Jesus are supposed to take this message from the angels back 
to the disciples and the, bar, and the gospel of Mark tells us that the angels say, go take the, all of these things, this message, this news that Jesus has risen and tell the disciples and then y'all need to go to Galilee because Jesus is going to meet you there. And so the ladies run back. They go back to the upper room. What are the disciples doing in the upper room? They're scared. They're there waiting because Jesus has died and they flogged him and killed him. They're scared. Try being the ladies, these ladies in this situation. You're going to take a message about resurrection back to these disciples. How's that going to go? What are they going to say? Look at it with me again in verse 9. In verse 9, you see the disciples' response to the women's message. And the message was all the things. Do you see it there in the text? All the things that the women heard. Hey, the, tomb, the, the, the stone was rolled away. We went up to it and he wasn't there. The angels told us that he was risen from the dead just like he told us he would do. Do you remember that? And what do they say to the women? You see it there? These words were idle words. The word we get here for idle words is nonsense. Maybe your translation says nonsense, babbling. This is a medical term used in the day for people who just talk on and on and on and they don't make sense like the person that is, in the, that is put up in the mental institute that they babble along and they make no sense. The things that they say have no connection to reality. That's the disciples' take on the message delivered from these ladies. And this is a hard message to deliver, no doubt. If you were the one delivering it, that would be a hard sell if you're a salesman. But not only that, the women had some other things working against them in the culture, did they not? In first century, this is not my take, this is just the way a Wellman's testimony was received in the first century. Even in the court of law in the first century, the testimony of a woman was not accepted because the general consensus was, sorry ladies, was that women just talk. They just talk and they make up things. And so even in that day, Nobody would listen to the testimony of a woman. Let me just give you a side note, an apologetic side note about the resurrection. Because people in our day and people all the way through history have looked at the resurrection and they've come up with all kinds of answers to debunk the resurrection, right? One of them is this. One of them is that the church, the early church, even though the church should have never happened. The early church says they made up the resurrection story so they had a religion. It gave them a religion that they wouldn't have had, so they made up a story and they wrote it back in. But in the first century, the testimony of a woman was not received. And so that would be a really terrible apologetic for the first century if they were into lying about the resurrection. They would never, they would never in the first century made the first witnesses of the resurrected Christ women. So that conspiracy theory dies a pretty easy death. But notice something else in this text. They said that they were idle words and so that what? They did not believe the message of the resurrection of Jesus. They didn't believe it. This is interesting. The first skeptics of the resurrection were the disciples. Catch that. They were the first skeptics. 
A, because their perceptions of the message and the delivery of the message from these women that they've walked with and they trusted. Also, their circumstances. They were scared. They were in the upper room. They didn't know what was going to happen. And also, I think, I think they still looked at Messiah and said, he can't die like that. It couldn't have been Jesus because he died They saw Jesus, I think, at this point still as this earthly king that would bring the kingdom then because, remember, they were being persecuted. And so they don't believe. Question about that, though. Are we surprised? If you've read the Gospels, what do you know about these disciples? What is maybe the most often phrased used by Jesus for his own disciples? Ye of little, what? Faith. Ye of little faith. But, but, but I got to ask, had these guys ever seen Jesus do things that nobody was supposed to be able to do? I mean, they'd seen Jesus turn water into wine. They'd seen Jesus take some loaves and some fishes and multiply and feed 5,000 people. They'd seen Jesus calm the storms. Like, have you ever been out in the sea or the ocean? By the word of his power, calm the sea, calm the storms. They were there. They were in this little boat. They'd seen it. And oh yeah, they'd seen their friend Lazarus be raised by Jesus. And they had had lunch the same day with Lazarus after Jesus raised him. Catch that. They'd seen these things. See, for the disciples who had seen all these things up close and personal with Jesus, is it out of the realm of intellectual probability or possibility that they could believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? I don't think so. Let me tell you about the nature of faith. And catch this as well. The lack of faith in Jesus isn't solely about intellectual inability to get there. It is also about an unwillingness to believe. The disciples had seen it all, and they were unwilling to believe. In pastoral ministry in 20 years, I've sat down with lots of people. I've had my own struggles with doubts and thoughts as well. I've sat down with doubters, I've sat down with skeptics, I've sat down with people who have punted their faith, I've sat down with people that are atheists that have never even considered the claims of Christ. And yes, there are intellectual things that are at play there that we ought to, the Bible says, have a defense for. But make no mistake about it, at the end of the day, It's not only our intellectual challenges to believe the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is an unwillingness to call him Lord. I've never seen somebody in all the years that I've prayed with, that I've sat with, that I've wept over people who've said, I don't believe there are elements of pride all through that. I'm the captain of my ship. I'm running my life. And Jesus won't share that with another. So here's the question for us. If those disciples can struggle with believing the resurrection and they were the first skeptic, let me ask you this morning, what are you counting on? That's what faith is. Faith is what are you counting on? What do you trust in 
Notice something, though. I want to show you a, a little glimmer and a little picture of faith, or at least the first steps of faith. Look at verse 12. Who do you see in verse 12? You see Peter. The text says, but Peter. There's a contrast. It says, Peter, this is interesting, rose. Jesus is rose. Peter rose, and what does he do? He runs to the tomb. Apparently, he also runs with John, and John must be skinnier than him, longer legs. John beats him there, but Peter is the first one to go into the tomb because look at the text. It, it seems like he's pretty curious. He's pretty curious to see. Maybe, just maybe, this could be true. First steps of faith. Why do you think Peter thinks this? What happened a couple days before this with Peter? Jesus told him, hey, or he said to Jesus, I'm never going to deny you. And Jesus said, no, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me, deny me, deny me. Jesus' words to him came true. He saw it. He knew it. And remember back when Jesus was telling the disciples for the umpteenth time that he was going to die and be raised? And you know what Peter said? Peter, the Bible says that Peter rebuked Jesus. Dude was bold got to give him that. He rebuked Jesus and he said, no way, you're the Messiah. You can't die and be raised. That doesn't fit the way I think about a Messiah. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. This is the plan of God. This has to happen, right? And so here's the thing. Peter has seen over and over with Jesus that when he speaks and he says something, it happens that way. And so here's your second thought this morning. The empty tomb calls us to trust Jesus more than we trust ourselves. More than we trust our own perceptions. More than we trust our own circumstances like the disciples. It calls us to trust Jesus more than we trust ourselves. But there's something, the last little piece here you see in verse 12. What did Peter find in the tomb? It says that he found a linen cloth. You just kind of read through that. There's a linen cloth there. You know the other conspiracy theory? There's lots of them that deny the resurrection. One of the other ones is this. Somebody stole the body and took all of it and in some way to make money. They stole the body, but they're trying to make something. Listen, the only thing that happens with a dead body that you take out of a tomb is you get in trouble for it. There's no money to be made over a dead body, but linen cloths were expensive. If they would have taken something, they would have taken the cloth and left the body. See, this breaks down as well when you look at the linen cloth. And it's interesting because the way that the language reads here, it's as if this linen cloth was on his body and then his body vanished and it fell right in place. That's the implication of the language in this text. So here's what we've seen. We've seen that something is missing from these women, that they failed to take Jesus at his word. And you see in the hearts of the disciples who've walked with Jesus for three years, there was also a faith and a trust in Jesus that was missing because they were trusting themselves. And that's the end of the text that I got for you this morning. And you're going, hey, the news story, we ain't even got to lunch yet. There are things that are missing in this story. 
Like we've established a few things, but we haven't seen Jesus show up. There's no eyewitness yet. We haven't seen him show up, and we haven't seen the rest of the story. The rest of Luke 24 gives us what happens next. What happens next is Jesus does show up. He shows up on Emmaus Road, and two of these disciples are walking along the road, and they don't recognize him because he doesn't let them recognize him. And it's like he's this fly on the wall getting information about what they think and what the events of the day, what has happened during the day. And then what you see with Jesus is he reveals himself, right? And what does he say to them? He says this, O foolish ones, Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. They failed to take him at his word. Was it not necessary for the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then a couple of verses later, it says, their eyes were open to see Jesus for who he was. And then those two guys go to the upper room and they tell the rest of the disciples and guess who shows up then? Jesus shows up again. The story is developing. He shows up again with the disciples and he shows them his nail-scarred hands and feet. And he does the same thing. And it's, the text says that their minds were open to understand that the the scriptures should be fulfilled that not only would the Christ die, but he would be raised again. And then the last thing you see, and this is the closing of the story, this breaking story, you see him go to ascend in Bethany, near Bethany. And what does it say? It says that Jesus blessed them, that he blessed the disciples, and what was their response? Was it them being perplexed? Was it them being fearful at this point? Was it saying to Jesus, this is nonsense? I don't believe, no. At this point, the end of this breaking news, what do they say? They worship Jesus. They worship him. And Jesus ascends. And it says, as they went back to Jerusalem, they went back with gladness and joy. They've been changed. And you know what happened next? They go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the world as witnesses to the death and resurrection of Jesus. They share the good news. You know, most breaking news stories that you hear aren't good. They usually involve somebody getting killed, embezzlement, something bad happening. Most of the breaking news stories in a broken world that you and I hear are bad. They're broken. They're marred with sin and shame. But I got to tell you, the good news of the gospel is this, that not only did Jesus die on a cross? But he wasn't done at the grave. He wasn't done at the grave. He rose as he said he would, which is a game changer for you and me. Because though one day we will die, the Bible says if you know Christ and the resurrection, that you will what? 
that you will live, that that resurrection power is alive and well in you to mold you and shape you into his image, to help you take Jesus at his word when you're going, I don't know, to help you trust and cling to Jesus when you've got your own path. How's that working out for you? Your own path, that you're the captain of your own ship. How does that work other than a dead end? No, Jesus wasn't done at the grave. And the followers of Jesus then weren't done either. And your takeaway is this, neither are you. God is not done with you either, C3. He wants to continue to mold you into the image of his son. He wants to grow your faith and trust in Jesus rather than yourself. He wants you to take him at his word. Let me pray.